This may sound strange, but to crime scene investigators, there's something peaceful about working with the dead. No matter how a victim's life ended, they all have a story to tell if somebody's willing to listen. For more than 30 years, Howard Ryan has been that guy, most of that time as a state police crime scene investigator. Today, he is a crime scene reconstruction consultant, an expert witness, and he teaches state-of-the-art forensic techniques to law enforcement agencies worldwide. This podcast series will clear the air on what really happens in the world of forensic investigations. It's not like what you see on TV. So hold on tight as we take you on a walkthrough of some gruesome crime scenes and controversial cases, many of which are too brutal for most people to imagine, and sometimes even for the experts. Join Howard Ryan and his fellow crime scene experts from around the world for a first-hand, no-nonsense, ringside seat as they take you Under the Yellow Tape. Hey everyone, welcome back to Under the Yellow Tape. Today we're going to... We're going to do something we didn't really plan on doing. I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, We're going to talk about the incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which involved a police officer involved shooting. It was not my plan to do this, even when it originally happened. I I felt like we, we started to make our point on officer involved incidents and uh, some of this whole backlash and BLM and everything else here. And I was going, I was really going to take this in a different direction this week. Um, we're going to push it off one week where we're going to come back and we are going to have a special guest on the next episode talking about PTSD in law enforcement. But today we're going to, we're going to go over this Kenosha, Wisconsin incident. And the reason why, or the reasons why are simple. One, it is a police-involved shooting, and it's not like they don't happen, but it's getting a tremendous amount of attention. And again, a group of people came in and basically burned Kenosha to the ground, or at least parts of it. If you look at some of the images on television, they're, they're heartbreaking, um, showing the damage and the fires and, and everything else that went on there. I want to talk about the incident, the police response, why they're there the individual who was shot by the name of Jacob Blake. Uh, I'm going to end this in talking about some of the reaction from different people. Um, we're going to get into that. And we're going to talk a little bit about due process and how, uh, how that can be looked at in a situation like this and say, well, do we even have it anymore? Uh, so let's start from the beginning and we'll, we'll get into First of all, what happened? And we're, we're going to go through some of the news clips and uh, from the area, Milwaukee Journal Sentinels, one paper, uh, some news uh, from USA Today and maybe even CNN. And we'll discuss what is being reported versus what the actual facts are. Notice I said versus, meaning they differ sometimes. And unfortunately, it's becoming a reoccurring common thing. I hate this term when people say, well, it's the new norm. Well, you know what? I got a problem with that because when the new norm is when the media sucks so bad that they, they, they want to drive a narrative to form your opinion, we've lost our way. And this is just yet another example. A lot of people want to say, oh, it's another example of a young man being shot by police. Well, 
We're going to get into why that may or may not have happened. But the new norm, the part that I'm talking about is the media just doesn't seem to really want to give you the objective view. They want to they drive a narrative here. And it happened again on this one. So we'll go from the beginning, August 23rd of this year. Kenosha Police Department is called um, to a scene of a family trouble, family disturbance, some sort of domestic incident. The dispatcher tells the officers that a woman called for police and said, quote, Jacob Blake, Jacob Blake isn't supposed to be there. And he took the complainant's keys and is refusing to give them back. This was at 5.11 p.m. Now, the dispatcher tells the officers there's an alert at that address for a wanted person. That wanted person is Jacob Blake. He had a warrant stemming from a domestic case in May. Now, that's how the media portrays it. Oh, he's got a warrant for a domestic case. We'll get into what that domestic case is. It's not just a domestic case. It's a little more than that. And normally, prior criminal stuff doesn't really... I try not to really mention it. Whether it's some of these people in the past that we talked about have had criminal histories. It doesn't come into play in the investigation. It doesn't come into play at a trial. It only comes in at sentencing. So I try to leave it out. However, there are times when we have to discuss it because it may be the reason the police are there or one of the reasons that they're going to deal with an individual in a certain way. In other words, if they know so-and-so may be at a location and there's an active warrant for something, they're going to approach that person in a certain way, a little differently. So the dispatcher in this case does tell the officers that there is an alert for a wanted person. At 5.13... One of the officers assigned to the call asks dispatchers for a description of Blake. They give a brief description, but then the caller becomes uncooperative. He advises he is out at that address. 514, one minute after that, second officer apparently arrives at the scene. A minute, one minute and nine seconds later, the third officer radios dispatch, urgently asking for more officers. So one minute later, something is happening where a third officer is asking for other help. Now, there are videos that have surfaced, and there are videos from several different people that are out there. People video things uh, today and constantly videoing with their telephones, their cell phones. Um, one of the videos, shot by a bystander, shows Blake and two officers scuffling on the ground on the passenger side of a gray SUV. A different video, this one shot by a neighbor from a second-story apartment across the street, shows a scene from the driver's side. Three officers, two male and one female, this is after the scuffle, have their guns drawn and pointed at Blake as he is broke free from them and he's walking around the sidewalk to the front of the SUV. He's walking around the car. Two male officers follow him closely, aiming their guns at him. Blake then opens the driver's door of the SUV and begins to go inside. He begins to, he kind of looks like he's leaning in. As he tries to get into the SUV, one of the uh, officers tries to pull him back by his shirt. And then you hear shots fire. Now, there is going to be a big issue. There has been a big issue and there's going to continue to be an issue in the media made by the fact that there was seven shots fired. Seven. Those seven fired shots, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, specifically the timing of them, when it happened and how long it took to f- takes to fire seven shots. 
Blake slumps forward, and a woman screams in the background. At 5.15, one of the officers reports, shots fired. So the call is at 5.11. 5.11. According to reports, at 5.15, the shots have been fired. It's four minutes. This whole thing happened that quick. Other videos afterwards are going to show the police officers then working to save Blake's life. It's important because I'm going to read you some use of force uh, protocols from the Kenosha Police Department. Uh, he's put in an ambulance. He's taken a, a life flight helicopter. They fly him to a hospital in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. He is now paralyzed. He's in a hospital. The video, some of the, uh, one of the things we see today, they love the, they love to throw the term out, especially on uh, news channels and even sometimes here in, in print media. Fact checked. We're going to fact check everything. We're going to fact check and fact check and fact check. You know, years ago, you never heard the media talking about fact checking that much. They did it. They did fact checking. There was a responsibility. They did some of this before they actually reported. It seems like now they want to throw shit against the wall, see what sticks, and when challenged, we'll fact check. That's a very dangerous recipe. So in some of um, these Milwaukee papers, fact check. There was an online post talking about Blake having a gun and gun offenses in his past. And they say, well, they were wrong. Well, he did have a gun offense in his past that wasn't adjudicated. But um, another one was he was not brandishing a knife before the police shooting. That has yet to be determined. So when they start to say, we're going to fact check it, and there's, uh, no, he didn't have a knife. He didn't brandish the knife. Well, there's something in his hand in the video. What that is, I don't know. But the officers involved and some of the witnesses there will have given statements to the effect of what that may have been. A very important part of this, and I'm, again, we always look at this from the, from the role of the investigator. Your witnesses are going to be important. Your video is obviously important. They've, they've gotten hold of the video. But your, um, your witnesses... So there is a man... 22-year-old man who has widely shared his cell phone video across the internet. Uh, his name is Sean White. He told the Associated Press he heard officers yell, drop the knife, drop the knife. That's a big deal, okay? This is an independent, so-called objective. And if it's not objective, he's certainly not, probably not rooting for the police. He's out there videoing everything. He heard him say, he heard the police say, drop the knife, drop the knife. That's his, his quote. That's a big deal. And um, apparently they said it as they were scuffling with Blake before the shooting. Now, I want you to think of this as an investigator. You hear somebody, this is not one of the police officers saying he heard it. This is a witness who's videoing this event, who's been will, very willing to share his video, saying, I heard them say, drop the knife multiple times. Now, why that's important? I want you to look when you happen to check this video out again, I'm sure some of you will, when he's walking towards the front of the car, one of the questions I have is what we've seen on most of the internet videos, is it the whole video? Or has the media edited part of it out because it may not fit their narrative? I don't know. I can tell you this though, the State Department of Justice, their criminal investigation office, they will have the video and they will view the whole thing they may have seen a lot more than we have. And that's important to remember too, because 
there's a reason why they haven't given a lot of information yet. They're working on it. That's how these things go. They get in, they actually get investigated before we burn things down. At least that's how it's supposed to be. But apparently it's not the new norm. So they also want to make a big deal. There was no gun found in his car. Okay. Notice the police didn't say drop the gun. They said drop the knife. And there was a knife found. Now, according to a statement by DOJ and some of the information they've given out, Blake, Jacob Blake, admitted in a statement to DOJ that he had a knife in his possession. Go back for a second. The officers that are pointing their guns at him. When I first looked at the video, before I heard anything about the knife or anything like this, I thought it was very odd that he was making his way, not in a dead sprint or anything. He's moving around the car and three officers are pointing weapons at him, following him. It looks odd. Well, there, there may be a reason why that happened. And the investigator's point of view is we see that and we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Why is this happening? This looks unusual. It may, it, it's not necessarily unusual, but it looks unusual not knowing everything else. Why are they moving with him pointing guns? Generally, when that happens, there is a threat they've already observed. Now, what I just said, if they observed a threat, that's corroborated by Rayshon White's statement, where they heard him them say, drop the knife multiple times. They move with him around the car. There is a little, you know, you're going to, some of you people out there are going to roll your eyes and say, no, 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 this isn't true. If he's got a knife and that knife is in his hand during the scuffle, you're approaching a point where deadly force may have been justified before it actually occurred here. That's something that we have to accept or at least consider. They might have actually shown a little bit of restraint. Maybe they can maybe they can talk him out of the knife and drop the knife. I want to get to when he I'm going to get to when he gets in the car in a minute and why that becomes important and maybe why the shots happened when they did. So the investigators are going they have a knife. Okay, they've they've discovered a knife. They have an independent witness giving a statement that they heard the police prior to the shooting saying drop the knife during the scuffle. And then they follow him over and they then try again physically to pull him out of the car. Now there's another very important thing that happened in between the the well from the time of the scuffle to the time of the shooting. They deployed tasers. And the taser was two two attempts were made to tase Jacob Blake. And the important part of this is there is an escalation of force. As an investigator, one of the things I'm going to look at is how the force was applied and when it was applied. They went to arrest him. They had a physical confrontation. They then used a taser on multiple occasions, or at least multiple tasers, maybe two officers, I think it was, fired tasers. This is an escalation of use of force. When use of force is applied in law enforcement, for the most part, we look for an escalation. What that tells us in the investigation is that they are operating within their use of force continuum, which is their protocols, their rules. The deadly force aspect is always the last resort. So we have a physical altercation. We have verbal commands being given. We have verbal orders being given to drop the weapon, saying drop the knife. And remember, a knife is a weapon. It is a deadly weapon. Don't, there is no dispute on that. That is not a matter in dispute. A knife in a physical confrontation can be a deadly weapon. It is considered a deadly weapon. So verbal commands are being given, physical force is used, then they get into the use of an electronic weapon, the taser, to, to subdue him. 
He makes he breaks free. At one point, uh, one of the witnesses said he had an officer in a headlock. So as he as he moved around the vehicle, they followed with guns drawn. That's something as an investigator that I look at, and it is a critical point to me. It's not like the guns weren't out and they were just running around the car to have a wrestling match. They already had the wrestling match. They've already deployed tasers. They've already given the verbal commands. They are exhausting the steps in the use of force continuum. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, couldn't they have just tackled him again? Here's the issue with that. If he has the knife in his hand, and that is going to come from the officer's statements and from other witnesses' statements, whether that's the case, you don't want to wrestle with a man with a knife, okay? Especially one that's already shown to be violent and, and, and willfully resist arrest. You, once you close that, that gap and you, and you start to grapple or wrestle with this person, that knife, you're, you're putting yourself in far greater danger. So at that point, verbal commands now, uh, again, with, with, um, with a firearm present is not the wrong thing here. That's not, that's not, they are not, they're, they are not overstepping their bounds in the use of force. A lot of people say, and I'm going to read some, some statements from some other people, some legal geniuses who, for the most part, shine a seat with their ass, but they're going to give you a statement saying, well, they, uh, they went too far too fast. Actually, no, they didn't. One of the things that drives people the craziest is, is when they tell somebody how to do their job all the time, the Monday morning quarterback. This world is absolutely chock-filled with Monday morning, I don't, Monday morning quarterbacks. I don't care what job it is. You could be an actual quarterback on an NFL team. Well, Monday, you lost. Somebody's going to be willing to say to you, you know, you should have done this, or you should have done that, or if you had only done this, you know, because they all know, because they're, they're eating your bag of chips and sucking down beers on the couch, and, you know, they're critiquing everything you do. Same thing happens here. Here's the difference, though. You might have lost a game by a field goal or a touchdown. See, when you put the other uniform on, with a badge on your chest, when you lose, you might lose your life. So the rules are, are different, and the rules of engagement are different. I want everybody to think about this. There's no other job in the United States, really, where the rules are, the, are, are, are set out the way they are for law enforcement. So if you work in corporate America, God bless you, right? Or you work in a small store, you own your own business, whatever it is, you probably have rules of conduct in your place of employment. When you get hired some places, you have to sign uh, for, your, for your rules of conduct, right? Your, your employee handbook or whatever you want to call it. Your HR people, they hand out, you know, all the stuff you're supposed to do. No, not no. Do, say, don't say. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to offend people. Okay. In those rules, though, anywhere in corporate America, do you ever see that, that paragraph where it talks about use of deadly force? Like when you're allowed to actually kill somebody? No, because they don't exist. There's really one profession in this, in this country where you sign a paper saying you understand the rules in which you may be able to take somebody's life. And that's a different game. Things here operate at a much different level. We're playing for keeps sometimes. In this case, I don't see it as any different. They're playing for keeps. He may have a weapon in his hand. They're certainly giving a command for him to drop the weapon. And an independent outside bystander says they heard him saying it. And DOJ finds the knife, whether he had it in his hand or whether he dropped it on the floor or he was going to get it, whatever that may be, that officer is going to have to explain it. And I want to talk about in a minute the view of that use of force and how that's viewed legally. 
So a lot of times they want to fact check and everything else, and they're not always right. Now, Blake's lawyers, immediately, these are family lawyers, Benjamin Crump. Benjamin Crump bounces around the country. He handles all the cases where anybody, uh, any African-American individual has been um, injured in an encounter with police. Ferguson, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, he's, he's all over. Now, he'll always have a local attorney to get him in because, you know, you have to have a, an attorney that has a passed that state bar. So he'll have a local attorney represent him, and then he comes in. He gives a statement. He was unarmed. And then his father said, my son didn't have a weapon. He didn't have a gun. Okay, a weapon or a gun? Which one is it? Because a weapon is a much broader term. A gun is specific. Benjamin Crumb said in the statement Thursday, Jacob did nothing to provoke police. Witnesses confirmed that he was not in possession of a knife and didn't threaten officers in any way. Okay. The problem I have with Mr. Crump is he's going to say anything. This is what he does. All right. He's that, he's that reasonable doubt for a reasonable price guy. That's what they do. That's his job, though. Don't hate him for it. This is the system we live in. You, you hire a lawyer to defend you, and they're going to say what they need to say to defend you. Crump went on to say he didn't have a weapon. Well, we know that's not true now. We know that is absolutely not true. There was a knife. Blake admitted to the DOJ people there in Wisconsin that he had a knife. And we have witnesses saying the police were ordering him drop the knife on multiple, multiple times. So Crump is saying this to defend his guy, but he's wrong. But he also knows that it doesn't really matter whether he's wrong. Because with the amount of confirmation bias in this country, it doesn't matter anymore. Remember what I said? It's the new norm. So he's saying he didn't. There's people just going to believe what he says because they want to believe what he says. They want this to be an unarmed black man that was killed by the police. And that is one of the things that's becoming all too familiar. The, the, that narrative, whether it's true or not, it's the narrative that's pushed and driven. So our, 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 our findings so far, just as public, just reading and doing a little bit of research, there was a knife. He was ordered to drop the knife. And the knife was found. Now, there's another attorney, which is Patrick Salvi Jr. He did an interview with CNN the day before, and he said that Blake didn't have a weapon in the vehicle. Well, that's wrong. Okay, so they're, they're wrong. I'm going to throw them a lifeline here and say, maybe they didn't know yet. Maybe they didn't know. I doubt it, but maybe they didn't know. And that's now been contradicted by investigators, and Blake's attorney wouldn't respond to explain the discrepancy. So remember what I said before about throwing shit against the wall. They're going to throw it against the wall. If it sticks, great. If it's unchallenged, great. We win. If it's challenged, sometimes we just don't have to answer. We just won't give a response. And it just goes away. Try to do that if you're the police. It doesn't really work out that well. So um, we'll get into the use of force continuum. And it is a standard that provides law enforcement with guidelines on how much force can be used at any given time in, in a certain situation. It's nationwide. Every state has it. Every agency has it. Um, it's reviewed by the state and uh, the lawmakers, and it is accepted into policy and procedure. Like I said before, it's, the only, it's really the only profession domestically here in the United States, outside the military, where a use of force, or use of deadly force, can be justified sometimes. It's, it's important to note that it's, it's at the end of that continuum. They, they can use that force immediately if the situation that they find they face is one that 
presents a certain threat level. Now, if they reasonably believe, reasonably believe that they themselves or bystanders are imminent in imminent danger or threat of, of serious bodily injury or death, then the use of force is justified. Most times there is an escalation. It doesn't start that way. The guns don't just come out and get fired. There is verbal commands. There is physical force. There's mechanical force. There may be the electronic weapons or, or, or OC spray or even a canine may be deployed um, before that escalates to that point. You have to understand that the, the justification for the use of deadly force, it's going to be, it's going to need to be explained. And in this case, it is going to be explained. Whether it's acceptable or not is going to be the thing that the court decides or however, they, however this moves forward. There's a lot of people making issue about the escalation. And some people forgot some of the steps that went on in the actual escalation. Remember when I said in the beginning, this is only four minutes long. From the time they show up till the time somebody's calling in the shots are fired. So you have some people that have given uh, interviews to the news talking about this guy, guy named Kirk Bolt Burkhalter. He's a retired NYPD guy. He's also a New York law school professor. Um, he said it was especially alarming to see Shesky, which is the officer that fired his weapon, First grab Blake's shirt and then immediately start shooting. It's a quick escalation, escalation in tactics, he says. Skipping over other means of subduing. No, sir. Uh, I respectfully disagree with that. There was a lot of other things that, were, that went on prior to that. You can't look at this in the vacuum of him grabbing him by the shirt and the gunfire. You have to take into consideration, if you're going to be honest and objective as an investigator, as to talk about the things that happened on the other side of the vehicle. And the verbal commands to drop the weapon. And the witness saying they heard that. Uh, the deployment of two tasers attempts on him. This is an escalation of force. This didn't, they didn't just show up and shoot Jacob Blake. Something happened that precipitated this. Another gentleman who is a uh, senior fellow for the Council on Criminal Justice and former police officer also, Thaddeus Johnson, said in in. He said in classes that he teaches at Georgia State University, he uses the example of a bank robbery where the suspect shoots several tellers, a security guard, and a police officer. I don't, I don't even know what the hell he's talking about. It's almost like he's implying, well, you got to shoot a lot of people before we can use deadly force. No, no, no that's a terrible, that is a terrible uh, analogy and one that I, I'm probably not surprised it's coming from an educator in a college setting. Gentleman by the name of John Lovey, or Lovey, Chicago-based civil rights lawyer. Now, he actually, this is a civil rights lawyer. You know, I see that, and I expect to see the other guy. What's he going to say? Listen to this, though. He said he could not speak specifically about the Blake shooting. Brilliant statement right off the start, right? Because he's, what he's saying is, I don't know it yet. I don't know everything. But in general, he said, he, I've seen departments that can do a better job training officers to ramp up use of force as needed. That's a fair statement. I, I won't disagree with that. Quote, before there was no continuum, police could use as much force as they wanted. There are circumstances where police can justifiably shoot a suspect in the back. Now, in the last episode, we talked about Rayshard Brooks and being shot in the back. And one of the things I said is, I, I, and I'm going to say it again right now. Listen to me. It is not against any law or rule to shoot somebody in the back. The question of the legality of the shooting is whether or not you can shoot or not shoot, meaning whether the use of deadly force is justified or not. Where you hit them 
depends largely on the body part of the body they present to you. And don't think for a minute that somebody with their back to you is not or cannot be a threat to your life. The fact that he grabbed him by the shirt and pulled him back means he did close that distance on him. He did make an effort to get him away from that car for whatever reason. If he's got that knife in his hand and you're that distance away, he could easily turn around and use that edged weapon on that officer. And just in case you're wondering, that's not allowed. Okay? Remember what I said in the last episode, if you listen to it? You are required, nationwide here, folks, regardless of jurisdiction, you are required to submit peacefully to a lawful arrest. And we're going to talk exactly why, they, that one of, at least one of the reasons they were arresting Jacob Blake. He had a warrant. Mr. Lovey, the civil rights lawyer, also says, there is no rule on where you can or can't shoot someone. He's absolutely right. You can imagine it could be harder to reasonably feel in danger when a person is not facing you, but there could be a situation like that. That's coming from a civil rights lawyer. Good for you, sir, because you are absolutely right. We may not agree on everything, you know, but we agree on that. Um, he sees it. He gets it. It's the other guys. I, I don't know what they're thinking here. Under the use of force continuums, officers just start with verbal commands, he says. They did. Empty-handed combat techniques. There's witnesses says they were tussling with him on the ground, Right. Even one says he tried to get one of the police officers in a headlock. And then a progression of available tools, such as maybe a baton or pepper spray. In this particular case, the officer used a taser on Blake, but it was not successful. Do you see the escalation? The escalation that they're using is in uh, along the lines of their use of force continuum and their protocols and policies. I'm going to, uh, I want to just say one thing here. When you do that, when you go through this use of force continuum and go up, you may not do every step. It's like climbing a ladder. Are you going to step on every rung? Ideally, you want to, but sometimes you're not, okay? It all depends on the situation and how fast it escalates and how violent it can be and how close you are to that position of danger and whether or not you can defend yourself any other way. So to Monday morning quarterback these is very unfair unless you've done it or you understand how it works. You know, it's, it's, it's fair, fair to say, wow, that video looked a little rough. Okay. Yeah, it did. But you weren't there. I wasn't there. But when you're there, the perception is I'm in trouble. I'm in danger. You have the right to defend yourself and others. We're going to talk about the end others in a minute. The same gentleman says, I think the problem that happens when you've gone through that whole continuum and the use of deadly forces, maybe not necessarily justifiable at that point, the person walking away and being non-compliant didn't give the officer a reason to shoot them in the back. Now that's where he and I disagree. I don't know that he's aware of what, well, I do know he's not aware of what went on inside that open car door. Only Officer Shesky is going to be able to give that answer because that, that, you know, he's the one in position. He's the one that made that call. He says, one of the best practices to take cover, conceal yourself, and, you know, behind a car, fire hydrant or something to protect yourself, and then use the amount of force. That's great. He goes on, he goes, this is in the Wild West. You don't just stand toe-to-toe and shoot it out with something unless you have a reason to. I get what he's saying. He's not necessarily wrong, but that's a blanket statement, and it's not going to be correct in every situation, okay? There were three children allegedly in this car, okay? This woman's children were in that car, and his. They were, they were, they were not married, but they were his children. So nobody has ever asked a question about the thought that may have been going through the police officer's head. We just attempted to tase the man. We fought with him. He may have a knife. We're telling him to drop the knife. Do we now allow him to get in the car and flee with the children? 
Now, you may say, yeah, but they're his kids. He's not going to hurt them. Well, maybe you're right. But if he did, he would not be the first person pursued by the police that injured their own children. And I'm not going to be the officer that's going to roll the dice and take that chance. Now, I'm not saying they shot him just because the kids were in the car. But when, when we talk about the, the authorization of use of force, the officer has the right to protect himself and potentially protect others. So do we let it escalate? Could it become a hostage situation? Could it become a, a pursuit where these kids are now in danger? Because we're not just going to let him go, right? He's got an active warrant and we're arresting him. Again, like I said in the last episode, he's under arrest. They told him that. Right? They're trying to get him cuffed and they're trying to get him out. They know he's got a warrant. There's a lot going through their minds in a split second. And the public loves to play Monday morning quarterback. So his warrant was for sexual assault. And I think it's a, um, an interesting thing to bring up. I said this before. I don't like bringing up prior criminal history, especially when I say that I mean things that have been adjudicated because like in court, it would prejudice a jury. They are brought out sometimes at sentencing, prior bad acts, but for the purposes of guilt or innocence, they're not. However, in this particular case, his pending criminal charges are, are maybe the thing that is causing them to arrest him on the warrant. So there is a warrant out, and it was for sexual assault of this same lady at the house they're at. He apparently made entry into the house back in May, and the arrest warrant was sworn out in July, where he... Uh, physically, sexually assaulted her. She was asleep in her bed, according to the affidavit. She was asleep in her bed, and he, um, as she woke up, he was standing over and started making demands. He wanted his, his belongings. I think he, the exact terms were, I want my shit, at which point he had shoved his hand down between her legs and digitally penetrated her. This is, again, according to the warrant. He then, he then told her, it smells like you've been with other men. At that point, he took her car keys, her car, and a debit card and fled. Made some withdrawals, allegedly, of, out of her bank account. Um, she called 911, and that investigation began. And on July 6th, I believe it was, there was a warrant sworn out for his arrest. As investigating the shooting, that's something that comes into play, because do the officers know that there's a warrant for him or not? That's something they're going to look at. That ex may explain the immediate, I'm going to arrest him immediately instead of it being for something else. Because there's a lot of talk here. Jacob Blake was there. He was trying to de-escalate the confrontation with other people. I don't give a shit what he does or what he's doing. If he's got a warrant for sex assault, and I know it, this officer knows it, he's going to arrest him right away. We're going to get him hooked up and in the car, and it will de-escalate the remainder of the situation. But that guy's got to go. And that may be the reason they went for him right away. That will come out. We don't know that yet. That's something that is going to come out. Let's talk about the online rushes to judgment. There's a lot. I mean, it's happening every day. And for what reason? There is this kind of feverish pitch in this country that there is a systemic racism specifically dealing with African Americans in their interactions with police. And any time there is a use of force issue used, it is... It is blasted all over social media, all over the internet, all over the media channels, news, print, what, what, what have you. And the, the follow-up, sometimes, not all the time, is civil unrest. 
and what we're seeing now is becoming kind of normal. It's not normal, but it's being permitted. Let me put it that way is destruction and rioting. Yes, there is some protests and yes, protesting is your right. As long as you follow rules, protesting is within your right. Rioting is not within anybody's right. Looting, burning, stealing, assaulting, and killing is not just a right over something you don't really, really like. Okay? So his criminal past, I think, was something that had to be mentioned only because it may have been the reason they went to lock him up. The online uh, issue became an issue, because it became a problem because it happened right away. There was a reaction, people came out right away, and they started just going off. Now, the DOJ, the Wisconsin DOJ, their Division of Criminal Investigation, DCI, released uh, uh, some more details of the, of the case. So Officer Rustin Shesky is the officer who fired the pistol. And yes, he fired seven times. They've confirmed that. Um, they, also, they also detailed how they deployed a taser. There was another officer who also deployed a taser. So we have Rustin Chesky and we have Officer Vincent Arenas. They both used tasers. However, the taser was not successful. They want to always talk about in shots into the back. They're going to drive that point home because it, it, it rattles people. Why would you shoot somebody in the back? Well, I pretty much went over that. Um, they are continuing their investigation and in their findings and interviews, Mr. Blake admitted to them that he had a knife in his possession. Now, how would the police officers know? Let's let's put it this way. How would they how would they know he had a knife unless they saw it? If it was in his pocket and they didn't know it, they wouldn't be saying drop the knife. But the statements from witnesses are the police ordered gave the verbal commands drop the knife, drop the knife. How would they know unless they could see it? If they could see it, maybe it was brandished. If it if people say well the knife was on the floor in the car. Really? Why would they be screaming, drop the knife? It was already in the car on the floor. Or did he have it with him when he went around the car? Did he have it in his hand when they were scuffling with him? Those are questions that are going to have to be answered. Those are questions that are very important to be answered. Because they could put a very quick end to any question about the justification of use of force. I don't want to, I don't want to beat that up too much because this is pretty cut and dry. There's some questions that are going to have to be answered. And those questions, when they're answered, are going to wrap this up. When did he have the knife? When did they see the knife? Because I, I personally, I don't see any issue with their escalation of use of force. I think they did it along the lines of their, of their use of force policy. So let's talk about that. Kenosha Police Department Policy and Procedure Manual. In that use of force manual, there is section 7, the use of deadly force. Deadly, and I'm going to read right from it. Deadly force is a force that is intended to or likely to cause death. Whenever safety permits, police officers should identify themselves and state their intent to shoot prior to using a firearm. I love that statement because it's, uh, that's great. And they should do that unless you can't. And sometimes you're in a violent situation that doesn't really allow you to say, stand by, I want to read you something out of our use of force manual. Officers are to discharge their weapons to stop an assailant from completing a potentially deadly act as described. That's pretty much everywhere, folks. We don't shoot to kill. Police officers shoot to stop a threat. And in this particular case, Officer Shesky is going to have to describe what went on 
and what threat it was he was attempting to stop. Officers should shoot to stop the threat and minimize the danger to innocent bystanders. Now, an officer may use deadly force, one, as a last resort in the defense of oneself when there is reasonable cause to believe that the officer is in imminent danger of death or great bodily harm. As a last resort in the defense of another person whom the officer has reasonable cause to believe is being unlawfully attacked and is in imminent danger of death or great bodily harm. There's going to be a legal wrangling over those two. Was Shesky in belief that he reasonably believed that he reasonably believed that he was in danger of bodily harm or death? Second one on number two, he's going to have to describe were the children, were the children in imminent danger of great bodily harm or death? Three, as a last resort, to prevent escape from a suspect where the officer has probable cause to believe that the person to be arrested has used deadly force in the commission of a felony, and the officer reasonably believes there is no other way to make the arrest or retain custody of the person. So it's pretty cut and dry on their use of deadly force. Um, They have a fairly uh, good policy here. I read through the whole thing. Um, One of the other things is Section 5, medical assistance requirement. All department personnel who engage in the use of deadly force or non-deadly force within the scope of their employment shall, one, check the subject for injuries and administer first aid to their level of training. Summons an ambulance, paramedics, rescue unit, or whoever. Maintain close personal observation, keeping close physical contact with the subject while continuing to provide first aid. All officers are to monitor the subject involved in the use of force for positional asphyxia whenever physical restraint is applied to the subject. So the use of deadly force here was, was, was used. Non-deadly force was used first. Verbal commands were used before that. So if you backtrack that and put it in order, they followed their use of force continuum. Pretty simple. Not only that, they followed Section 5, medical assistance. They immediately had him on the ground trying to save his life. They called for medical help. He was put in an ambulance and ultimately life flighted out. They did everything according to their policy. People say, yeah, but the board about shot in the back. There was no threat. Oh, there, there's going to be uh, an argument against that statement. There was threat, they're going to say. And they're going to try to explain it. And as usual, what we end up doing in these is I want to talk about the public reaction. Reaction, or you might say overreaction by some. Interesting. First things first. I want to talk about the governor of Wisconsin, and I'm really going to try to bite my tongue. I watched him give a press conference. I watched him give a statement, and I almost threw up in my mouth. His name is Tony Evers, and I'm going to get right to the comment he gave without knowing shit about the investigation. You're the governor of the state. You're it, man. You're the one. It all stops with you. See, with that responsibility also comes the responsibility to trying to do the right thing, not pander. He issued a statement denouncing the excessive use of force by police. Unless something's going on in Kenosha we all don't know about. I don't know how many case use of excessive use of force complaints they get. And he invoked the names of African Americans killed by law enforcement. Evers said, quote, while we do not have all the details yet, Okay, you just told me, you just started your comment with, we don't know everything. You should have ended it right there. If you don't know anything, say we're going to wait till we do know and shut up. No, you kept going. 
he says, what we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in our state or our country. That's your statement. That's your governor. He starts off by basically saying, we don't know everything, but, you know, this is a black man mercilessly killed by police. <sighs> wow. I mean, then he, he responds to the shooting by calling Wisconsin state lawmakers into a special session to pass legislation addressing police brutality. What message are you sending, Governor? You start off by saying, I don't know shit yet. They haven't told me everything. They're working on it. I don't know. We don't know everything yet. But he's mercilessly killed by law enforcement. And by God, I'm going to bring the legislation in and address police brutality. You think this was police brutality? What's your investigation going to say? What are you going to say when the investigation actually may come back and say, no, they did it right. Sorry. Okay, according to the law, the letter of the law, right? They actually might have done this right. Folks, listen to me. This is a nation of law and order. There is an ugly side to policing. And I'm going to do an episode just on that, the ugly side of policing. And it's not good. When I say it's not good, it's not, when I say the ugly side, I don't mean like the corrupt side or the criminal side. I mean the, the side of policing where we have to put our hands on people. When people don't comply and don't abide by the law, when that happens, things get crazy. And when that happens, we have to act. And sometimes during that act, things can get violent. Now, police have to enforce the law in order to maintain order in a civilized society. Could you imagine, like, you hear all this talk about defunding police. Could you imagine, there was actually talk about abolishing the police. I think the crazy thing about that statement is, if you actually did it, if you actually abolished the police, it would probably be all those people out there screaming and yelling in the street, the college kids. They're going to be victimized first if we ever reach the state of lawlessness. They're the ones that are not going to make it. It's going to get ugly. So we have to have law and order. This has to happen. And when you have a governor that is so uneducated and ignorant onto the system in place for criminal investigations, that he would make a moronic statement like that. You're part of the problem, sir. You're part of the problem. Part of the city being burnt down, I'm sorry to say, is your fault. Not all of it, but some of it's your fault. You okayed it. You gave him the green light. You almost gave him affirmation. I'm with you. I'm going to change things. But to change things, you have to admit that they were wrong. But you don't know whether they're wrong yet. Like I said in past episodes, if the investigation comes out and says Shesky and the other officers, they were wrong, okay, then you make a comment saying we're going to do some reform. But they didn't come out with anything yet. Since you've made that comment, since you made that idiot comment the next day, you found out that they had a weapon. But I haven't heard Mr. Evers get on the TV and say he was sorry that he jumped to conclusions, that he, that he supports due process. I know I didn't hear that. See, he was a school teacher his whole life and a public school administrator and, and things like that. That's not an easy job, but it's not this job. Okay, this job is reality. 
Sometimes you're in a violent world when you put a uniform on. Sometimes people want to commit acts of violence on you. So he's taking his, his experience as a school teacher and making comments like this. This wasn't the brightest move in his, in his mark. Tony Evers is his name. Doctor. He's a PhD. Tony Evers. Now that's just a politician. That's the one up there. The mayor of the city actually wasn't bad. He was asking for help. Now, Tony Evers since has made requests through Washington, right? Now, I, Tony Evers is a Democratic governor. He had to make requests to Washington asking for federal help to quell the violence. Maybe he did learn something from Portland who still hasn't figured it out. Maybe he has learned something from some of these other cities who still have continued rioting and looting going on. He asked for help. I got to end it. I mean, it's going to get totally out of control. And they came in and started to quell the violence. He's one guy, but he's a big guy. That's a governor. That's not good. Some of the other people that have spoke out, I mean, this is really where I got to bite my tongue. I know some of you are going, wow, it didn't really sound like you bit your tongue yet. Well, those of you that know me know that I did. So Kenosha, Wisconsin. It's gaining attention from celebrities across the nation. That's a headline. It's gaining attention from celebrities. Holy shit, what are we going to do? The celebrities are paying attention. My God, the brain trust of society, the greatest people in the world, the people of the most unbelievable moral character are going to weigh in. Everybody sit down and listen up because the celebrities want to speak. So who do we got first? Cardi B. Cardi B, I think she's a music person. Oh yeah, it says here, she was a rapper. She shared a video on her Instagram and saying, wow, this is sickening. I can't believe it. What's going to be the excuse now? Um, excuse or result of an investigation? There's two different things. There's going to be a result of an investigation, whatever it may be. My whole point here is we don't know everything yet, but we know certain things. We have to start thinking logically and using reason. So I don't know that there's going to be an excuse, Cardi B, uh, but there's going to be a result of an investigation. You may not like it, though. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but you may not like it. So you, you better be prepared like everybody else is. Hey, we'll, we'll wait and see what they say. LeBron James, he joined in the conversation when he retweeted Benjamin Crump's uh, tweets. James wrote, and you all wonder why we say what we say about the police. Someone please tell me WTF is this. Exactly. Another black man being targeted. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to offer an excuse for some of the celebrities. In that world where name recognition and fame is an important part of their life because the fame and the name recognition often, often generate larger sums of money for them, not to mention whatever skill set they have. Now, I don't know anything about Cardi B, but I do know LeBron James is arguably the best basketball player in the world. I've said it before. And his name keeps coming up because he just keeps popping off. I mean, he is a stud on the basketball court, but he keeps voicing his opinions on incidents involving the black community and crime. He says another black man being targeted. So what I'm getting at in their defense or, or an excuse is they build a platform. And a lot of times it's very important for them to keep their platform fresh, alive, in, in your face, or at least in your interest or in your eyesight. So whenever something happens, a lot of times they're going to put out a statement. Their statements don't have to be accurate. They're celebrities. Nobody, I mean, if, if you're a person, if you're out there and you are tuning into celebrity statements, 
as a way to form your opinion or as a way to get your news, you you need to check up from the neck up because these people live in a bubble, one that you'll never be allowed in. They have security, they have handlers, they have agents, they have people that do their laundry, they make millions upon millions of dollars. They don't really have anything to do with the average everyday person, but they often want you to listen to what they have to say. So that's part of the platform building, and I get it. I get that. But for LeBron James to come out and say, there's another black man being targeted. You're trying to tell me that Jacob Blake was targeted? That Rayshard Brooks was targeted? Remember everything we talked about in the beginning. These are calls for service. This is another member of that individual's community in that neighborhood, wherever they live, calling the police for a reason. The police show up because they're asked to come there for a reason, because somebody's doing something potentially wrong. So there's no targeting, LeBron. There really is no targeting. I know, I know you want it to be that way. That's that confirmation bias. I, I need it to be this way. I can't have Jacob Blake per, per, perceived as a scumbag. I have to have him as a martyr. Well, maybe he's not a martyr. Maybe the sexual assault stuff, maybe the reason the police are there, because he's not a good guy. Maybe he didn't do anything wrong. But I can tell you right now, the DCI in Wisconsin is going to tell us the answer. Maroon 5 is a music group, and the head singer is Adam Levine. He put out a post saying, this has got to stop, and included hashtag demand justice for Jacob Blake. Jake, there's going to be justice. This may not go in Jacob Blake's direction. Understand that. There's going to be a result, and Jacob Blake may not come out on top of this. Now, Benjamin Crump, you want to talk about him. Look, there's a reason Benjamin Crump's here. And there's a reason he's in every city whenever one of these things blows up. On the ass end of one of these investigations comes the civil suit. So he's probably doing this all this all this legal defense stuff for pro bono for free, but he's going to tie into the le- to the to the civil side. He's going to get paid uh, a lot of money. It always happens when we teach the shooting reconstruction class. One of the things we always say to officers: like, look, when you're involved in the use of force, you're going to get sued. You know, we 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 kind of. We kind of use the analogy half, half, half joking. You could have a bad guy on a truck, on a white Toyota Helix, firing a belt-fed weapon at a busload of nuns. You fire one shot and hit him to stop it. He's going to sue you. Or his family's going to sue you. You're getting sued. It's the American way, right? We sue everybody. So Benjamin Crump is not doing anything unusual. He's doing what they do. He's going he's gonna to get paid here. This is a payday for him. Kevin Hart, who I had a lot of respect for as a funny comedian and a pretty good actor. He tweeted, another black man shot multiple times by police officers. It's shoot first and detain second in these streets. Multiple officers were present, he said. He could have been grabbed. He could have been tased. He could have immediately been stopped when he started walking around a car. Okay, well, Kevin, I love you, man. I still watch you. I think you're funny as hell, but you're wrong here, okay? I'm going to tell you exactly where you're wrong. He was shot multiple times, but it's not shoot first and detain second, okay? They tried to physically restrain him. They gave him verbal commands. He could have been grabbed, you said? He was grabbed. He fought back, which, by the way, is not allowed. Get it? He could have been tased. He was twice. They're not 100% accurate all the time. Um, 
if you know there's two prongs that come out of a taser for those of you who don't understand a taser there's two prongs that deploy on a wire okay and think of simple electricity um when the taser prongs hit you and if they make a deep enough penetration and they and they can make contact the the taser closes a circuit your body becomes part of the closure of the circuit and you have neuromuscular failure if one, if one of the taser darts hits you and the other one does not, the circuit can't be closed. It's not like you're standing still in a room and saying, hey, can you hit that piece of cardboard over there? No. You're hitting a moving body in a dynamic, violent situation sometimes. And maybe you're not going to get both of those things to hit. You can then close the distance and drive stun with the muzzle of the taser and close the circuit that way, but it all depends. Maybe neither one of them penetrated as close. I don't know. Wisconsin DCI is going to tell us the answer to that. So Kevin Hart, with all due respect, sir, he was tased twice. He could have been immediately stopped when he darted around, when he started walking around the car. Well, at that point, they're, they're posed up with weapons up. And I don't think it really, I'm going to go out on a limb and say my opinion on that. It's not just because they wanted to shoot the guy. Because if they did, they would have shot him then. They would have shot him. It's when he went to get in the car and what was in his hand. That's why it happened. So there was a lot more to it. I know everybody seems to think this is easy, and the proof of that is in the pudding because how many times, anybody in law enforcement that's listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. How many times do you hear people say, why don't you just shoot him in the knee? Why don't you, why don't you just shoot him in the, in the hand? I chuckle when I hear that, and um, I chuckle for a reason because I'm not making fun of these people. They don't know. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know how stupid that, that really is. Take somebody out on the range that says that to you. And run them through a, a course of shooting. Because really, I think the benefit of that is you let them know just how hard it is for some people, some people, to hit a target. And that's a target in a static, safe, calm environment. A lot of times in law enforcement, what they'll do in the military, they'll do is they'll raise your heart rate, push-ups, sit-ups, run, this, that, the other thing, move around, and then shoot and watch how your, your hit rates drop dramatically. That's why hit rates in police shootings are, are historically low because they are panic situations. They are dynamic. There is an anxiety level. Your heart rate is jacked up. Your hands aren't as steady. So to say shoot them in the leg, shoot them in this, shoot them in that, it doesn't really happen, folks. This isn't Hollywood, okay? This isn't Dirty Harry shit here. Um, it, it's, you're shooting for center mass because it's the largest piece of body you can hit and your hit rate is going to be, percentage will be hopefully greater. The other reason is, you can dump the kinetic energy of the bullet into the into the person, thereby stopping the threat. That's what it's all about. It's a last resort. It can be fatal. But, uh, you know, start saying shoot him in the finger, shoot him in the hand, shoot him in the knee. Those are actually ridiculous suggestions. And don't be embarrassed if you've made that su suggestion. I'm just saying you've probably never been out on a range and handled a pistol and shot at 10 yards, 15 yards, 25 yards. It's it's a little different than what you might think, okay? So with all of these people making their comments to celebrities, man, folks, stop listening to them. Stop it. They don't know. They don't. They may be good actors. He is. Kevin Hart's a great actor. He's a comedian. He's funny as hell. LeBron James the best, but they're no good at this. They're 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 firing blanks here. Pardon the pun. The the Orlando uh, the Orlando uh, bubble where they're playing all their playoff games now. You got teams that say we we're, we're going to boycott, boycott 
I don't bring this up to make fun of them. And I don't bring this up to make this a talk show opinionated thing. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is this makes investigations harder, this nonsense. You say, well, we're going to affect social change. No, you're not. I know you think you are. You're not. NBA's ratings are falling through their ass. Okay, their playoff ratings are down 20% from last season, which weren't good either. In a report that was put out uh, by Sports Illustrated, right? One of the premier sports publications. Their regular season games have declined by 12% since the end of the 18-19 season. And their viewership on playoffs is way down. Ratings are now down 28% in the 18-year-old to 49-year-old demographic. And their contract, which is at $2.6 billion, remains the league's largest stream of revenue. However, lower ratings could impact a league's bargaining position when it's time to negotiate another television deal. Why is this a big deal? Well, here's the thing. People post it on a blog. I'm going to read a couple of to you just to give you an idea of what people are saying. Oh, shucks. The games I no longer watch now will not be played. One guy writes, the NBA can't possibly be so stupid not to know why ratings are tanking. What's amusing is watching either. Is watching either. I'm warming up to the idea of the Masters being played in November, meaning golf, with a heavy dose of SEC football. Um, the NBA can blank right off to China. I've never had the displeasure of seeing a bigger group of whining anti-American prima donnas in my life. This is all Sports Illustrated, by the way. Um, and Kenny from Inside the NBA. If I walked off my job, I'd be joining the other millions without jobs. Not pra not praised. Kenny, the most boring and unpopular one on the show anyway. Uh, you're only down 20%. It's down 100% for me, one man writes. <laughs> one guy writes, most Americans do not choose to support a Marxist organization, and especially one that espouses violence and defunding of police. Used to be a huge fan, but I have watched my last ever NBA game. I am confident the ratings and revenues will continue to tank. There's many more here. The reason I, I, uh, I brought this up is because it is tanking. You know, uh, one of them says since 2011 and 12, it's down 45%. This is the problem when people that don't know shit about a specific topic have a gigantic platform to talk about it. And some people will listen and other media will give it play. It affects the investigation and, and what we can do. You're firing people up but you don't have the credentials to do it because you're not in your wheelhouse. Never, mo never before have I, I, I've been able to say this with such, such precision is to tell somebody, stay in your lane. The investigators in Wisconsin are handling this. And I got to be honest, one of the things that they did I thought was very good is they didn't tell you anything up front. People say, well, we want to know. We deserve transparency. No, actually you don't. When it's over, you do. Then it becomes public information. While it's ongoing, you don't. You don't get it. These things are not spectator sports and they're not done in a fishbowl. So let them run their investigation and then they will present to the district attorney and to probably maybe the attorney general out there. I want to, one of the last things I want to talk about here, there's a gentleman and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say his name. I haven't spoke to him, um, but he posted something on social media, so it's fair game, but I'm, I'm all for this guy. His name is Lance LaRusso. And Mr. LaRusso, if you happen to listen to this podcast, I would love to sit down and chat with you. I would love to have you as a guest on this podcast. I believe he's a former police officer. Now he's an attorney in the state of Georgia. He was one of the attorneys representing uh, Garrett Rolfe in the Rayshard Brooks shooting. Uh, he has some really good insight. 
He has also has the experience. This guy has the credentials behind it. He's got the creds behind what he's talking about. And whenever you find somebody like that, it's worth listening to. I'm going to read some of, a, some of what he posted in an open letter. It's called The Death of Due Process and the Reasonable Officer. It starts out, trying times test the foundations and principles that form the basis of our society. Providing a forum for the viewpoints of those with whom we vehemently disagree is the foundation of our Constitution. The same reverence is afforded, providing all people due process, at a bare minimum, as notice, and an opportunity to be heard. Man, that's powerful. And it's not happening in society right now. It's not happening at all. We're, we're killing ourselves. In the context of protests, focus on the patent unfairness of labeling a segment of society with a broad brush, law enforcement officers have all been a adjudicated guilty villains by many of the same people claiming to seek justice. Another powerful line and right on the money. Cardi B, Beyonce, all these people saying, I want these police officers arrested. Well, you got to do the investigation first before you arrest anybody. But, and that's kind of what Mr. LaRusso is saying here. One of, uh, one of the most powerful lines in this, uh, in this, in this article that he wrote, is this. And man, listen to this, everybody. Listen to this and let it sink into your head. This is, this is profound. Amid demands for immediate termination, cooler heads must prevail. This is the important part. The law requires any use of force to be judged from the perspective of the officer using the force. Did you hear that? I'm going to read that part again. The law requires any use of force to be judged from the perspective of the officer using the force. That means not some guy down the street with a cell phone, not somebody that, you know, is looking out from a window across the street. They may have video. That's great. But the, but the, the use of force has to be judged from the perspective of the officer using the force. Now, the standard is reasonable belief, which people are, some people are desperately trying to change. It's almost like they forget that police officers are human beings. And that's a big problem. I think that's a really important uh, standard is that reasonable belief. And why is it that way? You might ask why, why is it that way? Well, let me read something else he wrote. In a world where officers are expected to cure the ills of poverty, homelessness, lack of mental health treatment, sex trafficking, child abuse, domestic violence, all the, while, all the while protecting themselves and those around them from violent attacks. Where is the consideration for the fact that behind every badge is a human heart? They feel, they grieve, they mourn, they strive to be the best example of their noble, noble profession, and every one of them wants more than anything to survive their next shift. It's important. And that's really why they have that standard as a reasonable belief. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few other things that he says in here that are really important. He says, you know, when you, when you ask for the immediate termination of an officer prior to an investigation, it robs the public of a view into the mind of the officer. 
This is well known in police and governmental leadership. We hope, but, and it's also why anyone who advocates and promotes the rapid termination of an officer should be the subject of scrutiny. He says the the primary focus and question in that analysis is simple. Why are you afraid to let the truth come out? You have to let them speak. Um, And, um, you know, Lance LaRusso wrote this. Uh, I don't know the date that he wrote it, but I think it's fantastic. I didn't read the whole thing. I just read a few snippets from it. And um, I think this, there's a lot of things in here that he says that we need to keep in mind. I think it's very important. This particular case, this shooting, this is really not that difficult. I can tell you from an investigator standpoint, it's not. But it's made a lot more difficult by the overreactions of the media, the governor, I mean, the celebrities, them too, um, you know, they have their place in, in creating hysterica, uh, hysteria. But, um, you know, one of the, th- the feedback that we've gotten in the past, especially on the George Floyd episode we did, was I got a lot of emails and I got some phone calls and people said to me, I never knew any of that. I never knew any of it. Um, people, people that thought, you know, may have had a negative thought about the whole thing. Actually, I had a gentleman email me and said, you've opened my eyes to some things. I'm going to look at it in a different way. Um, That's all we're trying to do. That's really it. I'm not trying to convince you that everybody's right or anybody's wrong or whatever it may be. When we have these particular incidents, and uh, unfortunately, we'll probably have something else, I think what we have to do is just let it take its course. Let's let the professional people do what they do, come up with an answer, and give us their findings, not give us an opinion. Oh, I should say not give us our opinion. Just give us the findings. We'll form our own opinions. I think that's what, as a society, we, we need to really start to try a, a little harder to embrace because we're losing sight of reality. And I'm telling you, we're losing sight of our ability to reason. And that is a very dangerous path to go down. So I hope we shed a little light on this one. Um, Again, we're not here to change your mind. We're just trying to open your mind. So uh, if you get a chance to listen to this, thank you for listening. And um, when, after you've listened to it, maybe go back and check out some of the videos that are online in the open source media and look at it. Look at it from a perspective like an investigator would. Look for some of those things that I mentioned and make up your own mind. That's the, that's the way it's supposed to be anyways. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to thank Long Shot Precision for this episode, all right? For those of you in the shooting sports, uh, target shooting, long-range uh, distance shooting, which is a very difficult thing to do, uh, check out Long Shot Precision. Um, they make a product. It's called an adjustable bag rider, and it's for precision shooters. It is a, a fantastic piece of equipment if this is your sport, and it is a very, very well machined precision instrument for the micro adjustment in some of your long range target shooting. Uh, you can see their product at adjustablebagrider.com. Check it out. If that's your thing, I can tell you it is one of the most incredible pieces of equipment in shooting sports that I have seen. I have, I do some long range shooting. I'm not uh, by any means a, a high level competitive shooter, but I, I love to do it in our class in shooting reconstruction. We have to do some of this. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, but the adjustable bag rider is something that 
will drastically, I mean, I mean drastically improve your long range precision if you are a bench shooter or do any long range shooting. So check that out. And I'd like to thank them for helping us with, with this episode. Again, just here, we're here to open your mind and shed a little light from the perspective of an investigator on some of these things. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to have a special guest and uh, we are going to talk about some of the mental health issues in law enforcement, some of the uh, post-traumatic stress that people um, uh, endure. Sometimes you forget that uh, as crime scene investigators in particular, you may be seeing death every day and every day, almost every day for 20 to 30 years. And we're going to talk a little bit about what kind of toll that takes on the individual, the family, the friends, the social life, and some of the things that can be done to help that. So again, thank you guys for listening. Okay. And we'll talk soon.